Today I want to talk about the threshing floor. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 50. And we're going to start in verse 1. Say there when you're there. It says this, Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days. Everybody say 40 days. 40 days. For that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him, for Israel, for 70 days. Everybody say 70 days. 70 days. Wow. It's almost like they were mourning for a child of God in just enough days to actually have it reach the world. Right? In that time, the idea of 70 was related to how many nations there were in the world. 70 days. Let's go down to, uh, to verse 7. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt. So after 70 days, what happens? And by the way, the word for all in this verse is the word coal. It means all. It means everything and everyone. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. Can you imagine? They're beginning the journey to go bring Jacob back to his resting place. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. So they embalmed him for 40 days. They mourned for a total of 70 days. They begin to make a journey, and they get to the threshing floor. And what happens at the threshing floor? They stop again for another seven days. As I was thinking about, actually, the truth is, is this sermon tonight was prompted from Nick's, um, from Nick's video to us the other day. When he talked about being unmixed before the Lord, there's not, a, there's not any duplicity in our thoughts before the Lord. This spurred something in me. I began to thinking about the threshing floor. What is the threshing floor used from? Can you use, uh, show the, the first slide on our slideshow? Hey man, this is some ruins in Ephesus. Not the slideshow, but it's, it's, it's appropriate, so... Is it not in a slideshow there, Joy? Amen. Let's move on. So it's a threshing floor. What we would find is a, a space that was open outside of a city usually. And so they would find some type of large rock so that they could bring the wheat and they would be able to hit it against the rock so that it would separate what? The chaff from the actual wheat kernels. If it was enough, they would have an, an animal, an ox, that they would have a large stone behind it and they would, they would go over it again to separate it. If you've ever been out in a wheat field, you can grab a head of wheat and you can kind of do like this and it'll separate them and you have grain and you have the chaff in your hand. This idea that there's supposed to be a separation in what we're doing. There's supposed to be a clear distinction in what we're doing. We have to have lives that have been on the threshing floor. Joseph is going along and he sees and there's an important part. Why he chose this, by the way, the name of Tad means thorns. He's in a thorny place in his life, but you know what he does? He finds a place where the threshing floor can happen. What happens on the threshing floor is after they separate it, what do they do? They take a winnowing fork, a large pitchfork, and they take it down in the grain and in the chaff, and what do they do? They flip it up in the air. And then what happens? The wind, the lightness of the chaff, is blown to the side, usually put into a fire, 
right? They usually start a fire and it's put off to the side. And what happens? The weight, the seriousness of the grain falls down. Here's a picture of what it would look like. The Hebrew word there is a goren. It's a gimel, it's a resh, and it's a noon. We're not going to go into that very much, but I'll just, I'll just leave that for you. Here's the threshing floor. The gentleman down here on the bottom, it's hard to see in the picture. If you were up close, you could see that he has a winnowing fork in his hand. You could see the grain that's in the middle, and you could see the chaff that's on the outside. I want to encourage us today, this idea of a threshing floor, uh, I'm going to give you the, uh, the punchline here at the beginning. I'm going to give you what I'm going to talk about here at the beginning. Our lives, we have to take our lives to the threshing floor and let God, let, let the Word of God, let His Spirit separate out that which is worth nothing and that which is valuable beyond belief. That's what we're going for tonight. We've got to get to a place where God can crush us, where He can apply pressure, where He can apply force to our lives, and it will cause things to start to come apart. It will cause things to start to be separated in your life. There are three main things that the earth produces, especially in biblical times. This is the way they would have thought about it. The three things are this, grain, wine, and oil. Grain, the wheat, the wine that comes from the vine, and oil from olives, right? So you know what became three very, very important places to the Israelites? A threshing floor, a wine press, and an olive press. A threshing floor, a wine press, and an olive press. You know what? Let me, let me just encourage you that these three things, if, if I think through this, what goes on in our lives today? <laughs> you have your home, you have a workplace, and you have church that God can use to start sifting things out in your life. When you're at home, that's what we're working on on Saturdays, parenting classes. We're going to get into some good stuff this weekend. You're going to want to be here if you're part of that class. Your work, your work actually works things out in you. It starts pressing you in certain ways, but you can see what comes out of your life. You can see the separation from the force that's applied there and what comes out if it's going to be pleasing to the Lord, if it's going to be something that's full of joy, or if it's something else in your church where you can start praying spiritually and you see the pressing that goes on. We talk about this when we talk about Gethsemane, don't we? So we see here the very first use of this word in the Bible is with Joseph at the threshing floor mourning for his father. A place of mourning or it's a place of importance. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers 15. We have to continually go to the threshing floor. It's an important place for us to keep coming back to. Numbers chapter 15, and let's start in verse 17. Are you there with me? Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land to which I am taking you, and you eat the food of the land, present a portion as an offering to the Lord. Present a cake from the first of your ground meal, and present it as an offering to the Lord. From the threshing floor. <laughs> One of the very first things you're supposed to do when you get into the land and you start receiving a, a crop, the very first thing you're supposed to do is really give an offering from this threshing floor. What about in our lives? If we're going to the threshing floor in our lives, we're allowing God to sift us, to work through us, to separate that out which doesn't belong and have only the seed, only the grain, only the important parts left. What does your offering look like to the Lord tonight?
Is it, is it full of chaff? Is it full of things that shouldn't be there? Or has it been separated out rightly on this threshing floor? Because what is this supposed to be? It's supposed to be an offering of our first fruits to the Lord. The very first things that we offer to the Lord are supposed to come as a result of the work of the threshing floor in our lives. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 18. Just a few pages over. Number chapter 18. Let's look at verse 25. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Levites and say to them, When you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe. What is that? That's a tithe of the tithe, right? As the Lord's offering, your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor or juice from the wine press. Do you see the importance of those two? As grain from the threshing floor or juice from the wine press. In this way, you also will present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given to you. So we start off with Joseph first in a time of mourning, but he finds a place of importance that God can start judging his heart even in a time of mourning. In Numbers 15, we see that it's a first fruits that all of us must give to the Lord. Here we even see that the Levites, those whose inheritance was the Lord, are supposed to give a tithe of their tithe from the very best that they have to offer. In other words, no one is ever exempt from bringing our best to the Lord. If you're going to bring your best to the Lord, then it's going to demand that we go back to the threshing floor constantly. We have to bring what we have and we have to allow it to be sifted. We have to allow it to be challenged. We have to allow it to be inspected by God of all creation. We cannot skip things that we're going to bring to the Lord. Let, let me give a pastoral moment here with us. Everything that we do must be taken to the threshing floor before we take it to the Lord. Is everybody in agreement with me? So that the chaff is blown away and what is important is left. Amen. I'm going to encourage you about our turkey team. So everybody look here just for a few minutes. If you're going to send a word to our turkey team, we want you to send words, encouraging scriptures, thoughts to our team. We are for that. Everybody say, we're for it. I need you to make sure that you take those things and put them on the threshing floor before the Lord before you send it. Okay? Here's, here's, here's what we need. Here's what I mean. Um, if you're going to say that you have a word from the Lord for our team, I need you to be extremely sure that it's actually a word from the Lord. Okay? Why? Because if we send something like, and I don't know that anybody has sent this, if you sent this, I do not know about it, and I'm giving a random example here. I saw this woman in a yellow shirt and a red hat. Our team is battling the forces of the enemy right now. They're in the middle of Ramadan. You're seeing a few moments in their day, but they are battling. They're going through things. They're getting physically attacked. They're crying out to the Lord. We don't want to add any confusion to them because we want to go ahead and say, Lord, on the threshing floor of our own heart, we're going to present all these thoughts up to you and let you sift them out. If you get something that you think is a word, I want you to pray about it for a while. Take hours, take a day, and I want you to pray about it because I'm asking you to have it be sifted on the threshing floor. And then if you know for sure, if you're willing to stake your reputation as a Christian, 
and say, I know and I cannot get away. This is actually the Lord and this will be. It will be because the Lord has said it. Please send it. Does everybody understand? We want to be a blessing to our brothers. And the truth is, is no one in here has done anything out of anything other than a good heart. What a great church we're a part of. We have tons of people sending scriptures and words. But if you're going to do that, we need for it to be correct. Yes? Does everybody understand this? Don't get all solemn on me. This is me being truthful like a pastor that I'm supposed to be to you. We have the team that's there and we want them not to have 14 different things. Because if you actually send them a word from the Lord, you know what it's going to do? It's going to move them forward. It's going to give them direction. If we all kind of, we were thinking and a verse popped into our head because we like the theme of it. And then we send it. What we have is we have some opposing things that are going on. And that can't possibly be the Lord. It's not possible for that to be the Lord that you send a scripture and I send a scripture and the two things contradict each other. It won't happen. But let's just go ahead and say it. Sometimes we do these things and sometimes we miss it. But I want you to be willing to stake your reputation as a believer. It has to be that serious before you send it to our brothers there because we only want to help them. What you should do is take it, pray about it, and go, Lord, if it's really from you, why don't you speak it to them? And then if, you're, if, then if you can't get away from it, then we can send it. Amen? Amen. Y'all still love me? Yes. Just trying to be real. Because what happens is even in a service, we're a kind of church, we want everybody to prophesy. And what happens when you prophesy and it's not the right word? We're also the church that says, hey, man, thank you so much for trying. That was not it. Anybody ever been corrected in here? Yes. For that thing, right? For what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, amen. First of all, if you haven't been corrected, praise God. And keep trying, because if you keep trying, you're going to miss it at some point. But what we're trying to do is develop the right use of spiritual gifts. And you know what we're going to do with that? We're going to allow the threshing floor of God's Word and His Spirit to actually show the difference. And we're not going to be afraid to go, Shh, yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, I was way off base. I'm so sorry. Amen. Praise God. Let's just, don't stop, but let's have it, let's where it's threshed. That's, that's the problem with a lot of Spirit-filled churches, isn't it? Anybody can prophesy all they want, and there's no, yay, and you will have a baby girl. And when they have a boy, nobody says anything. You were wrong, bro. At least we need to be the type of church who's going to be bold, who's going to be lion killers, and enough to go, yeah, now that I see that that was threshed out, yeah, that should have been in this category, not this category. Amen? Amen. That's not an exciting word, but it is a good and a right word for us tonight. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15. Let's start in verse 12. You can tell that we are still in the law. We're establishing what a threshing floor is so that we can see this, so we can understand through Scripture what the Lord is speaking to us tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 12 says this, If a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, sells himself to you and serves you for six years, in the seventh year you must let him go free. And when you release him, do not send him away empty-handed. Supply him liberally from your flock. Everybody say, from your flock. Your Your threshing floor. Everybody say, threshing floor. floor. 
and your wine press. Everybody say wine press. If they were in some type of financial crisis and they literally sold their services to you, after six years of service, you don't just let them go, which you're supposed to. You let them go and you bless them liberally from your flock, from your uh, threshing floor, and from your wine press. Why? He's showing them how to treat brothers and sisters who've gotten themselves in trouble, and you bless them after they've done their, after they've served their time. Amen? Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. It says this in verse 13. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. You know what signified that it was time to start? Sukkot. Before that day, they were supposed to have gathered from their wine press and their threshing floor. And they were like, amen, we've, got, we've reaped a harvest. We've separated the things out. And you know what we can do now? Now we can celebrate. This is an important thing for us to understand. Sometimes we want to celebrate before we've gone to the, to the threshing floor, before we've allowed the Lord to sift things out. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but there are times in my life where I don't really want anybody, I don't want to ask anything because I'm not quite sure that I'm right anyway. I'd rather just go ahead and do it and maybe, what is, what is the phrase? I'd rather ask forgiveness than ask permission. Yeah. Is everybody, anybody familiar with that? Yeah. All right. why, why do we not tell people stuff ahead of time? Because we're worried that we're going to get judged. We're worried that someone's going to say, what are you doing? I can tell this as a pastor because people will go through something, they will, they, but they'll go all the way through it. They'll be done and then tell me, oh, what happened? How come you didn't tell me that last time? I've seen you 57 times since then. Yeah, because I didn't really want to get corrected anywhere. And now that it's done and I feel like it's in a good spot, I'll let you know what, what had happened. Yeah, that's not us presenting ourselves on the threshing floor and letting the Lord help us to sift these things out. This is the heartbeat of our church. These ideas where we're going to the Word and we're letting it de develop things in us. Come on now, let's be, let's be honest. So Monday night we talked about getting rid of idols. And we're a bunch of believers. And we talked about getting rid of any idolatrous thing in our life. The truth is, is our own comfort becomes idols. The fact that I really don't want you to tell me that I'm wrong, I'd rather feel like I'm right at least a little bit longer. The truth is, is that's an idol for us. The idea that I want to keep my name and my reputation for you so I can't let you ever see that there's got to be some threshing in me. The truth is, is that's idolatrous. We want to put our entire lives on the threshing floor and let it be sifted out by God's process. If you love correction, if you let a righteous man strike you and you count it as a gift to you, the Lord will cause your life to be incredibly fruitful. Why? Because you're not carrying around the chaff that should be blown away and put in the fire. That's the only thing that that's worth is for it to be put in the fire. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered the produce of your threshing floor and of your wine press. It's trying to let you be fruitful in your grain and fruitful in your wine. The product of your labors, the product of your efforts, and the thing that which is supposed to cause us joy in our lives. It is supposed to be a thing that is celebratory in our lives. And here it starts the Feast of Sukkot. Let's turn to Judges chapter 6. If you hadn't noticed yet, we are walking through. We just keep turning to the right here. Judges chapter 6. Present your life on the threshing floor. Present your entire works on the threshing floor. Verse 11, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Say there when you're there. there. 
the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Why is that such a weird thing? Because he's mixed it up. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Right? Let's look at verse 36, same chapter. Perhaps he wasn't wanting things to be as seen and as noticed. We know that he was doing that because there were enemies of God who would come in and steal the food. A threshing floor became a very, very valuable place within a society. Why? Because that's where all your food was. That's where, that's where the best of what you had was getting ready to get farmed out to whomever. It was a very, very critical place inside a community. He was hiding. He was doing something else. He didn't want that. He was trying to work the process in a different way. But look in verse 36. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, I will, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. Uh, the truth is, is I forgot that he... I remembered him placing a fleece but I forgot that he actually placed it on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. Now, isn't this interesting? He's using the threshing floor exactly the way I'm encouraging us to use it tonight. He's allowing God to make a judgment and God to make a decision. He's just doing it here with a fleece. He's doing it here with like, Lord, I'm not quite sure. And the truth is, is I really know what the threshing floor is actually for. I know that it's actually to bring judgment. I know that it's to bring a decision. I know that it's supposed to be for bringing clarity to my life. And I actually need you to help me and bring clarity to my life. Verse 38. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. <laughs> then Gideon said to God, uh, Yeah, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. So in other words, flip this around. I know you just did it. I know I asked you to do this and you just did it exactly like I asked. But I need a little bit more confirmation. I mean, I've never done that in my life, ever. <laughs> or <laughs> the more truthful version is, I've done this more than I can count probably, right? Lord, show me your will. And someone else, someone comes up and gives you a right word and prophesies. Lord, speak to me again. <laughs> Don't get mad at me. I'm still just a little uncertain. You know what happens if we go back to the threshing floor over and over and over again? We make ourselves able to hear the Lord's instruction to our lives. We've separated the stuff that doesn't matter. If this were a classroom setting, I would make us take time right now to write down the chaff in our life. What are those things that don't really matter that we kind of keep holding on to? What are those things that produce nothing of value? Nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. I mean nothing. And yet they're kind of around and we let it. This is why you go to the threshing floor. Because truthfully, sometimes we know what's there and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're working hard for things and God is trying to bring clarity to our lives. But we have to, what do we do? We have to throw it up to him in that place that he's designated. And he will cause the wind of his spirit to separate these things out so we can see the righteous and the unrighteous. We have to love the righteousness and hate the wickedness. Amen? That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. 
Let's turn to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. Let's start in verse 1. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. The whole idea of Ruth coming to Boaz was exactly in the setting that we're talking about. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you're there until, you have finished, until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. You guys know this story. It's a beautiful story. So what is, what is the symbolism here? She's going to a place that's supposed to determine what is right from what is wrong. And she's offering herself and saying, Boaz, you can judge whether this is from God or not. Is she supposed to even say anything? No, she just goes and present, mark where he is, go uncover the corner of his tallit, under the corner that that would be a later be a hopa for them as they get married. But right there, under the corner of the tallit, you just put yourself under a prayer covering in God's place and let Him judge what's going on. That's beautiful. What about us? It's nice when we're thinking about Ruth, isn't it? Oh, we know the story because she gets the Boaz. She gets in the line of Christ. What a beautiful thing. You think that that happens without a threshing floor? There's no way that that happens without not only a threshing floor, but this threshing floor. Friends, are we trying to run away from God's threshing floor in our lives? Do we hear a sermon on idolatry and go, yeah, that's, that's for somebody else? Do we, do, are, what, what is it that the Lord is trying to do in us? We're trying to be, in, we're in a season right now where the Lord seems to be saying, hey, you remember those things that you did that were foundational for your church? You remember having scripture cards on you all the time? Yeah, you remember that? That's part of what built this place? Yeah, I want to remind you about that again because you need to go back and do it. Hey, that mezuzah that every family should have, that every man should understand his clear direction in life, you know what? That's part of what made this church this church. They were God principles that God spoke to men here in this body and they began to implement years ago. Guess what? The Lord's saying, hey, that wasn't just for them, that's for us now. We never outgrow the fundamentals. How many of you guys did athletics in, in high school or in college? Wow, a lot, Right? I have to pick on football players just for a second. Have the longest warm-up ever. They get out there in mass. I think it's more of like one of those, uh, those Samoan hakas or something. I think they're just dancing around to, to make the other team afraid, right? They're going to warm up for the next 47 minutes. And then go sit down. <laughs> you know? But what are you doing? Every day at practice, you have the same regimen. You, you warm up. You loosen up so you don't hurt yourself. And then you practice fundamentals. You rep certain things every day. When you're a musician, former music teacher, you know what we did every day? Every single day I did fundamentals with my band students. Every single day. I had kids who were the number one musicians in the state of Louisiana in my band. And you know what we did every single day? We did fundamentals. I spent, the more I taught, the longer I made the fundamental section and the shorter I made the other time. You know why? Because I figured if we could do this rightly, 
They were rudiments. They were fundamentals. They were the very heartbeat of what was supposed to go on. And if they had that right, we learned everything else faster. I just looked at Ella. I caught Ella's eyes there. As a math teacher, you know what? If your kids don't know the multiplication tables, you're going to have trouble teaching them other things. Why? Because they don't know the fundamentals. When my kids were little, I actually made them do it, and they had to do it fast enough for me. I didn't want them counting fingers and using mnemonic device. I wanted them to know the fundamentals. And if they couldn't do it, I'd get mad at them. They're like, well, Dad, you just stress us out. That's right, because you don't know it. <laughs> if you knew it, that wouldn't be a problem. If I ask you something, you should be able to tell it to me. Why? Off the top of your head, because, it come, because you actually know it. Silly examples, right? What, I mean, or simple examples. What about in the kingdom? Have you repped Scripture enough that it just comes out of your heart and it comes out of your mouth? Are there, are there things that are just down in you because you've used them so much that you have mastered the fundamentals? And by the way, when you master a fundamental, it doesn't mean you move on from the fundamental. It means you really keep using that. And then you just add to it. If you know the fundamentals well of the kingdom, guess what? You can learn the advanced things much quicker. It seems very counterintuitive. If I want to get to advanced things, then I need to hurry up and get through the fundamentals so I can get to the advancement. I'm telling you tonight, I'm reminding you of what God is speaking to our entire church right now. Let's go back to the fundamentals. Because the truth is, is most of us aren't as good at the fundamentals as we want to think we are. There used to be a, a silly TV show called, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? And they would get like actual professionals on there. And they would ask them questions that the fifth graders kind of knew. And, and the adults, it was funny. You really couldn't tell who would win. On a, I mean, it, it was actually kind of a fun little thing. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Have you moved beyond the fundamentals and so you've forgotten them? This is what this threshing floor idea is all about. So as Ruth is going to Boaz, she lays herself on, on the threshing floor as a submission to this. Let's take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Verse 6. This is a familiar story to us. You know, what I, when, you know what I was amazed at? How many familiar stories happen out of the threshing floor? If you're not paying attention to stuff, I had all these stories, and I, you guys know these stories, right? When I realized, oh, they're all happening at threshing floors. Wow, Lord, what, what is it that you're trying to speak to us? Chapter 6, verse 6 of 2 Samuel. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, huh, Uzzah reached out his hand and took hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. What's interesting that the oxen stumbled right there, isn't it? It's almost like they got to a point of moving forward and they found a place where God was supposed to separate and judge what was going on. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah or Yuzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark at the threshing floor of Nacon. Guys, you, if you think that you're going to be able to escape this idea of a threshing floor, if you don't come and present yourself like Ruth, if you think that this is just not going to come up again, maybe if I'm quiet, maybe they won't, you know, like what do you do when you're a little kid? 
You close your eyes when you're playing hide and seek. Why? Because they can't see me now, <laughs> right? If you just think you're going to be able to close your eyes and get to skip the threshing floor experience in your life, I promise you, you'll be going along one day and it, it'll seem like it's completely out of the blue, but it'll be your time to, to hit that threshing floor. Just like Yuza did here. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. Let's look at verse 15. Verse 15 says this, So the Lord sent a plague on Israel. What happened here? David was incited to take a census of his fighting men. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the end of the time designated. And 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. Everybody say 70,000. 70, Some Bible scholars have problems with this and other things that when you start saying a large number of people because they just have a problem with thinking that 70,000 people died because of what David did and when he decided that he wanted to count his fighting men. When the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord was grieved because of the calamity. And he said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough! Withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was there at the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, a place of judgment, a place of sifting that was going on. When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I'm the one who sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. It's as if he was throwing himself on the threshing floor there. On that day, Gad went to David and said, Go up and build an altar to the Lord. Where? On the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord commanded through Gad. When Aruna looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Let's skip ahead to the same story, but let's go to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Same story. A parallel account. Because we actually see a few things here. We're supposed to be willing to put our lives on the threshing floor. First Chronicles chapter 21. Let's look at 22. It says this, David said to him, Let me have the sight of your threshing floor. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's, let's, let's back up just a second. Um, let's see. I'm sorry, I wrote down the wrong verse, friends. Verse 20. It says this, While Arunah was threshing wheat, he turned and saw the angel. It doesn't actually tell us this in Samuel. It just says he looks up and he sees David come in. Here in Chronicles it says that Arunah looked up because he was threshing wheat on that threshing floor. He turned and saw the angel. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. Then David approached. And when Arunah looked up and saw him, he left the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. Adds another little nugget of information there. It's kind of a beautiful thing that's added. David said to him, Let me have the sight of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. 
Sell it to me at the full price. Aruna said to David, take it. Yeah, I would probably offer for him to take it too, not just because he's the king, but I'd just seen the angel that had killed 70,000 people standing there. No, uh, no, really, you could just have it. Just take it. Let my lord the king do whatever pleases him. Take that. You can have anything else I have. Just take it all, right? Look, I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing, threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll give all of this. Well, amen. Thank you, Aruna. We appreciate that. But King David replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying the full price. Why must we insist on paying the full price? Because we can't give to the Lord our shortcuts. We can't give to the Lord those areas that we've not actually put on the threshing floor itself. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. If our day and time could get this, let's forget about our day and time. If we as members of this church can understand this principle. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm saying that we should not ever get comfortable with offering to the Lord that which costs us nothing. If you can be here and not be going full out and you see the other people around you going full out, you're offering sacrifices to the Lord that cost you nothing. There are, there are many families here who've sold everything they had, sold houses, left jobs, and come to be a part of this church. Don't let someone else's sacrifice allow you to offer to the Lord something that cost you nothing. You know how we have to figure that out? We have to put ourselves on the threshing floor and let God show us what is real and what is a waste. Amen? Turn to chapter 22. Just look down a few verses. It says this, chapter 22, verse 1. Then David said, The house of the Lord God is to be here, and also the altar of burnt offering. What is he saying? The very temple of God's presence. You know where it was set up? Right here on the threshing floor of Aruna. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 3. I want to show it to you in one other place. 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1. Second Chronicles 3.1 says this, Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, the place provided by David. He began building the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. The actual temple of the Lord was built on the same threshing floor. Now does it make sense that David had to pay full price for it? Now does it make sense what was going on there? That it was God's, <laughs> it was God's mercy on earth and it's where the temple of God was set up. How do we know that when we're trying to shortchange the Lord, when we're trying to shortcut something and get somewhere where we haven't earned yet, how do you know what is coming after you. If you need to, we need to be in a habit of being a people who pay full price for things. At least as it comes to us serving the Lord. Don't shortchange what God is doing in your life. Don't, don't decide that even if someone wants to give it to you. Aruna wanted to give it to him. And he's the king. You know what he could have done? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You should give it to me. David had an understanding that if you're presenting to the Lord that which costs you nothing, it's actually no gift to the Lord at all. He could throw that up to the Lord and see that that was chaff and not the real deal that he should have been giving. And he was willing to pay an incredible price for that. I hope this is making sense to you guys. 
I hope that you're thinking about what you can offer in your life that's full price for the Lord. The full price of being here and being connected. The full price of it taking years and not days for you to get where you need to go. Pay the full price. Pay the full price in prayer. Pay the full price in getting in His Word. Pay the full price in learning about His Spirit. Pay the full price so that when, when your life is thrown up to the Lord, that's, the chaff is blown away and the real thing that you have already purchased is worthy of building God's presence on. Amen? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. It says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, we often use this, and I mean, we sing songs about it, right? Lord, baptize me with Holy Spirit and fire. Woo! And we mean it in the, the kind of God-honoring fire. Do you know what this verse is really talking about? Look at the next verse. His winnowing fork is in his hand. What's the fire that he's talking about there? thing that burns away all the rest of it and leaves only the pure. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will, be, and he will clear his threshing floor. <laughs> I'm going to separate it out and then I'm going to clear it gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. <laughs> the judgment is going to come, friends. He's going to get this right. The God that we serve, he's not going to be fooled, not one bit, not one amount. The, there are parables about the wheat and the tare. Do you know what he tells them to do? Gather it all. Why? Because there's a threshing floor that we can, we can sort all these things out and the chaff is going to get burned up and that which is righteous is going to get put into his barn, into his storehouse. He's not going to miss one grain. He's not going to miss one kernel of what needs to be judged versus what needs to be praised. So how about we just give our lives to the Lord now? How about we do this on a daily, in a daily manner that we come before the Lord again and again? Lord, I gave you all that I know how to give you yesterday. I threw it up before you and you separated it out because I've been pulverized. <laughs> Because I've had the grinding, I've had, I've had your pressure, I've had your heat put on me, and now it's causing a separation in my life. I did that yesterday. You know what I get to do today? Exact same thing. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow? Exact same thing. You know why? Because we never get away from the fundamentals of the gospel. We don't ever graduate past needing to do this. We don't ever graduate past having our hearts inspected by the power of God's Spirit, the clarity of His Word, and getting in deep into His prayer, into His presence. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're rounding the corner here. Because <clears throat> I want us to pray here in just a few minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's start in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 9, 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while he is treading out grain. They put that, that yoke behind the ox or a big stone and let him walk across all these things to start separating it out. Is it about the ox, oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this is for us, doesn't he? I love it when the Bible's making a commentary on itself. Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows 
and the thresher threshes on the threshing floor, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. I'm not asking you to do this, guys, today because it's going to, you actually get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. As you actually test this correctly and have the chaff removed and burned away, there's actually an expectation that you get to enjoy the fruits of what God is doing in your life. We're not doing it just for that, but guess what? It says that this is for us. This is the way that this is supposed to be taking place. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Y'all still with me? A few more verses. When you look at these words in the Greek and the Hebrew, man, you ought, to, you ought to take a look at this word going back and looking through now and through the Older Testament to find in the prophets what it's saying. When you realize that these threshing floors are a place of God's divine judgment, of Him separating the wheat from the chaff, it is an, it is an incredible picture that God is giving. And here in Revelation... Um, Joy, can you put up, we're going to, I just want to show a few of those slides first and then we'll be in Revelation 3. This is Laodicea. This is the church that we're about to read about. Um, The reason that I'm bringing this up is because this is where our team is right now. This is the area that they're in and I wanted to show you something and I want to end our time in the Word tonight connecting us with where they are right now. So this is a, a, a picture from Laodicea. This is a main street, Acardia, the main heart of what used to be the city of Laodicea. You'll see a lot of pictures like this in a lot of um, Bible programs that you look at because that was in many cities there. This is a small amphitheater that is there in Laodicea. Okay, so what I want to show you here is this is western Turkey where our team is. They started down uh, the What we opened up tonight with was with the very first one down on the bottom left, that little cross right there, Ephesus. They've been in Izmir. They've been up in Bergama. We saw that video on Sunday. You come all the way down, and the last one on the right, the last cross there on the right, is where Laodicea is. Okay, this is that's that's where they're gonna that's where they are right now. If you go to the next one, I kind of zoomed in on this. Okay, this is a zoomed in picture of that. You see up there, (laughs) past whatever that name is of a city. There's a star there, and then there's a star in Colossae. This is the Hierapolis, is the top one, and Colossae is over here. And I'm going to explain why I showed you that in just a second. Um, Let's let's go to Revelation chapter 3 now. You have an idea of where these things are in western Turkey. It says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen. I love that. I love that phrase. These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of creation. I know your deeds. Doesn't that sound like someone else? Sounds just like what he said to Ephesus in Revelation 2. Except this time it's not a positive thing. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the, either one or the other. I had a, we had a conversation with Caleb the other day and we were actually talking about this passage. And we were saying, you know, most of the time that I hear this preached, it's saying, man, you need to be hot. So lukewarm is bad and cold is bad. So you need to be hot. What does the scripture actually say here? I wish you were either or. I wish you were either hot or you were cold. What an interesting thought. Do you know why it's saying this? 
It's because Jesus is the one that's speaking and he understands what's going on in Laodicea. He understands the people. In the Hierapolis, can you go back to the slides for me, Joy? In Hierapolis, which was north, there was a hot springs that was there. There was an Aguas Calientes that was there in the Hierapolis. Yeah, one more. Can you go one more maybe? Oop, no, okay. Go back to the other one. So, yeah, I'm sorry, Joy. Thank you. Nope, we're going the wrong direction. We'll get there. Okay, so in the north is where they had the hot springs. You know what came from Colossae? Extremely cold water. They had aqueducts that were coming from both directions. The hot springs, you know what they were used for? They were therapeutic. People loved it. It was very, it was very nurturing to their body. You know what the cold springs were good for? Uh, if you have a, a, a Houston kind of summer, anybody like some cold water on a hot day? Man, it's almost like if we even give a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord, it could be something that's a blessing. Whether you're going to be therapeutic and healing or whether you're going to be a blessing to everyone you come in contact with, he's saying, go ahead and be hot or cold. But what you can't be is by the time the aqueducts met in the city of Laodicea, the water was lukewarm. The water from the two aqueducts would merge in the place and it would cause it to be putrid. Absolutely revolting. So as Jesus is sitting here, he's not just picking a random be hot or cold. He's using the actual impact of where they are and what they understand and what they see every single day. He says this, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. In case you forgot what lukewarm meant. He wants you to get this. Either be hot or cold. There's, there's redeeming qualities on both of these. There are scriptures like Matthew 24 that says the love of most will grow cold. But there are lots, a lot of scriptures like in Proverbs that says like a, um, like a cold drink on a hot day is the Lord's, provi- uh, the Lord's answer to you. It says a lot of different things like that as we go through in Proverbs 25, 13, Proverbs 25, 25, and Matthew 10, 42, and others. He's saying, because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's putrid. Verse 17, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Do you know what one of the characteristics of Laodicea was? They're an extremely wealthy city. They had a north-south route that went through Laodicea, and they had a west-east route that went through Laodicea. There's a, um, a historian named Tacitus who wrote that in 60 A.D. there was a giant earthquake that basically destroyed the city of Laodicea. They said, no thanks, Rome. We don't need you to help us rebuild our city. We got it. They literally built their own city again with their own wealth. It was destroyed by the earthquake and they rebuilt it because they had the money. Verse 17, you say I am rich and I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. There's really not anything positive that, that Jesus Christ says about this church because they're lukewarm. It's one thing when you're thinking about Laodicea. What about us? Are there areas we're allowing ourselves to be lukewarm today? 
either be hot or be cold. The Bible says, I, I wish you'd pick one. I wish you'd be either one. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so that you can actually become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Besides being a rich city, besides having aqueducts that flowed from two separate places, a hot and a cold, they were known for their clothing and they were known for their medicine. They actually had two different doctors in that area that would be on some of their local currency. They so honored the medical field and in one particular thing is some of these doctors had were, were revolutionary in their treatment of the eyes. White, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes. Jesus Christ is putting it in a context where they're supposed to understand. They understood. He is pointing right at them and saying, yeah, I've judged you. I've put you on the threshing floor and I understand everything about you. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Yeah, you should say amen to that. Amen. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That idea for coming in and eating with him, it's the main meal of the day. It's not just a quick snack. It was a let's come in and fellowship together. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we close tonight, I want to encourage you in this. Would you stand with me?